You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, good morning, Kensington. Is that not phenomenal? What a way to open today's service. Oh, that song is um, about a guy wishing he had someone else's girl. And that's part of the story that we're finishing up today for our series, um, Shaking the Family Tree. So it's on Bathsheba. Oh, I'm sorry, my name is Sonia, and I'm part of the Clinton Township team. 
So I'm so grateful that you are here. I love seeing all the new faces coming back to church and the new people coming. It's truly been um, amazing time after COVID to come back into community. So I'm sorry, I was dancing back there. Jesse's girl. So now I'm out of breath. Um, so I want to welcome you. If you're new here, we have a place for you. It's called The Hub. It's located in the, uh, in the lobby. And if you have any questions at all, if there's anything you want to sign up for volunteering, which we love our volunteers, um, and anything like that, you can go out to a hub. We have amazing volunteers that um, know everything Kensington, and they do a great job and um, really help you feel welcomed and answer your questions. So we have baptisms that are coming up at our Troy campus. All our campuses are come together at Troy on August 11th. The baptism is um, a journey that you've been on with Jesus, and it is a change in your life. Um, it, God requires us to be baptized. So if you are on a journey with Jesus and you did not make the decision to be baptized and you want to make that now, we would love to be on that journey with you. That's August 11th. You can get information out at the Hub. Um, also, we have a girls' night coming August 3rd. Really love our girls here at Clinton Township. Um, we have Chris Mays, who is Craig Mays's wife, that leads Communitas in New York that's going to be joining us. And we have all kinds of girl fun for the night. It's really going to be a great evening. We also have a pig out for our guys on August 4th, you guys. There are a bunch of men making a bunch of pork butts. <laughs> Um, to supply at this pig out. It is going to be a great night. We have a couple of teaching pastors that are going to join us on that night and all this guy kind of fun they have planned. I don't know, ooh, 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 you know, whatever they do, I don't know. But it's going to be a great night. Seriously, when we come together in community, we have so much fun um, coming and just being together because no one wants to be isolated and be alone. We are out of... Um, the COVID, and we love to come together and just bring our people together, our married couples for our date night, just all these opportunities to come together as a community. And I have met some incredible people through Kensington's community, and I hope that you would join us on that. So today's service is a PG-10 rating. We have, um, just because of the subject that we're going to be talking about with Bathsheba, if you don't know, um, we have an amazing kids program. If you are not familiar with our kids program, I would really encourage you to, to put your kids in there. We do not offer a child care program. It is a children's program where it is learning about Jesus at their age. I um, started volunteering in K-Kids when I first started at Kensington, and I learned so much being with the kids. But it is a great program, truly. It is for um, your kids. So this service is about Bathsheba. We're going to um, finish up the last of our series. I feel like I have 10,000 words for you guys. <laughs> um, okay, so what if your entire life, um, it was not defined by your characteristics or your family or who you are? It is um, at your funeral, they're talking about that one incident that defined you. And for, for Bathsheba, that's what it is. 
So we're going to watch a video and hear a song that is like a modern day um, version of David and Bathsheba. And so um, I really hope that you will um, join us today and hear from the Holy Spirit. Steve's going to be joining us um, to speak and just hear from the Holy Spirit on what we wanted to learn from that. So here we go. Let's try to keep the drinks to a minimum, please. Why are you starting with me already? You know how you get. Look, I really need to take this. Do you really have to do work stuff right now? Oh my. It'll take a minute, all right? Typical. Jim! <laughs> What's the good news, buddy? Man, I thought this was a done deal. No, wait a second, wait a second. We signed the papers yesterday. You can't back out now. Listen, you, you can't do this. Yeah, but... You know, I have my lawyers look at this tomorrow. Okay? This is not over. I don't know why you have to do work stuff all the time. Well, you wouldn't understand, would you? Hi, can I get you guys started with something to drink? Um, yes, please. I like a grapefruit spritzer, please. Okay, and for you? How about a Jack and Coke? Sounds good, come right up. Thank you. Same old drink. I'm start. Hey! Oh, my gosh. Like, like, so, tell me about your vacation. Where did you go? What did you do? Oh, Jim, the Dolphin Mall. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay, how'd it go? Yeah. No, I was all it was like a sunset cruise. Good eye of the Hi, can I get you started something to drink? Yeah, I think I'll have a Pinot Noir, please. Oh, perfect, thing for you. And uh, whiskey sour for me. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you. you. Actually, you know what? Excuse me. Yeah. Please have what she's having. Absolutely. Thank you. You never drink that. It sounded good. It's fun to mix it up every now and again, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, I have to show you what I did with my kitchen. Yes. I added some backsplash, some tile. Yeah. Yep, that's um, me. Back to work. Things. Back to work. Back to, oh right back to work. Yes. Right back to work. Right you back like to work. Low vintage. Yeah, this is beautiful. Yes. Look what you did. That's so lovely. You like it? Yeah. So good. Oh, my like gosh. It. Oh, you guys like it? Yes. Yeah. Your wife is very talented. Oh, I'm glad. It cost me a fortune. I had to put off buying my boat, actually. Don't be ridiculous. It wasn't that much. Okay. Thank you. Well, um, <clears throat> I've been doing some remodeling around the house. Oh, where at? Yeah, uh, in the bathroom. Okay. I've just been, you know, changing the light fixtures mm -hmm. and doing the tiles, painting. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Wow. Fun. Wow, wait, wait, you, you doing that all by yourself? Mm-hmm. Now that is impressive. Well, especially working full-time and everything. Yeah, it's just... I don't know how she does it. <laughs> something I do when you're working long hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can probably take some tips from her. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's very talented. I mean, if I tried half the projects she does, the house would be a wreck. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Oh, come on. Remember when I tried to redecorate the bedroom? 
Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just leave it all to her and she takes care of it. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Yes. Oh, it's right, good man. to see you. Yeah, we got yeah, to get together. Have a good night, buddy. Yeah, take it easy, all right? Drink oh, soon. Nice to see you. Yes. So nice. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, yeah, see you too. Until next time. Until next time. Oh, I forgot my phone inside. Oh. I'll be right back. Good to see you guys. Bye. You as well. All right, guys. We're this way. Yeah, we're this way, so take have it easy. Have a good night. Yeah, you too.
Wow, thank you guys. It's really, really intense. Man, I was thinking about one of the things that I love about Kensington all these years was the fact that we always tried to be real with our lives, you know, and real with the circumstances of our lives. And today is one of those days, man. It's really um, the lyrics of that song ask, how could you? Will you only feel bad when they find out? And if you could take it all back, would you? That's a real question. That's what in the brokenness of our world. And I thought, here's the truth. This is the truth about our lives. Our lives are challenging. Decisions and difficulties face us throughout our lives and through every day, literally every hour, there's a new decision to be made. And what's interesting about the Bible is the Bible is the same way. It's a real story with real people. People who are broken and selfish and hopeful. And today, as we're finishing up what I think has been an amazing series, if you haven't been a part of this whole thing, shaking the family tree of these four amazing women in the genealogy of Jesus, um, today, there is no sugarcoating or pretending that people had it all together. I love that about the Bible. And I think sometimes the Bible was presented to say, well, the Bible tells you how to live and not be perfect. And, and it's like, it, it couldn't be further from the truth because it's just, everybody was struggling. And as we get ready to jump in this today, I thought one of the powerful marks of this series was the fact that within ancient culture and up to very, up to this very moment in most places in the world, women are powerless. You realize that? Two thirds of the world, women have no voice and have no power. The, to live here in the West is an unbelievable privilege because the, the influence of the history of the last 2,000 years of Christianity is slowly breaking a patriarchal system of, of holding women and not seeing the value of women. But in two-thirds of the world still, got a long way to go. And what these women experienced in the genealogy of Jesus is what people are experiencing all over the world. And today, as we're getting ready to receive our offering, you know what I thought about? didn't hit me. I don't know why it didn't hit me immediately in this series is one of our key ministries as a church is we have daughters in Nepal. We have our Daughters International that rescues girls being sexually trafficked in Nepal. And the ministry we work with, Ramesh Sapkota, has turned almost 100,000 girls over the last 15 years back from the border. Probably, actually, you know what, more than that. And about 2,000 of those girls have gone through full rehabilitation and restoration. And here's what's interesting. They were the most victimized people on the planet Earth. And now they're community advisors. They were sold and controlled. Now they own businesses. They, they were in, in without hope. And now they've started community churches and they advise their communities. It is truly the most remarkable transformation in the world. They are living examples of what these four women did in a powerless situation in the story of Jesus and in the Bible. And I got great news this week. I, I, I'm so excited to share this with you. We're going to receive our, before we receive our offering, I want to just tell you this. We just, um, two years ago, my daughter and I, my daughter's a lawyer in New York City. She works for a big law firm. She's kind of frustrated by it, trying to figure out her purpose. I, I just texted her five minutes ago, said, hey, tune into my message, give me a critique. 
But she was with me in Nepal, and we met Nisha, one of the girls, one of the daughters, who her dream was to go to law school. And I got an email from Ramesh this week that she's been accepted into law school. She's the first daughter to be accepted into law school. So think about this in the context of this series. Nisha is going from victim, and she will become protector and defender. She'll end up, she will end up prosecuting traffickers. She'll be a, a part of seeing, seeing young women and the powerless have a voice. And what's cool is my daughter, Helen, is going to make sure financially that she gets through law school. This is what's fun about being a part of a community that cares and has a vision for the world. And so as we receive this offering, I just want you to know that we're doing that. I also want to say something about baptisms. Two stories. It just This is bonus. First service didn't get this. Reuben Mariakal, our, our guy in Sudan who's planting churches in Sudan, he, in the city of Mogos, among a particular tribal group, I'm not sure which group it is. I need to text him back and find out. Uh, they've started 12 churches in the last eight months. They have 300 people waiting to be baptized, but persecution has been broken has broken out. He actually sent me pictures of some of the pastors. This is a community of southern Sudan where everyone still dresses in traditional garb. The men wear these brightly colored kind of robes, and literally this ma- this man's skin is just torn to shreds from the beating he endured when they broke in and disrupted the church service and almost killed him. They have 300 people waiting to be baptized there. So when we talk about being baptized and identifying with Jesus Christ, we're identifying with people like that all over the world. And I remember uh, four years ago on my first trip to Nepal, I baptized four of the, of the daughters in a, in a little stream that was about this deep, and they were able to bend backwards. They kneeled down and were able to bend backwards and go under the water. If you'd have done that to me, you'd have been doing my funeral next because I don't bend but we did it in a remote, secluded area because when you baptize people publicly in Nepal, Hindu leaders get really upset by that. But I would say it was, uh, I, remember, I remember one summer, it was the most we ever did, it was probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we had a summer where we baptized 850 people, I think, at Stony Creek. It was the most we ever baptized in one summer. And I got to tell you, baptizing those four girls was just as meaningful as any, any baptism I've ever been a part of. So if you're thinking about that, you've never publicly identified as a follower of Jesus Christ, this could be a, a great moment for you. So that's the offering today. Did you put the I can't remember, you put that up, show people how to give as we receive our offering today, and, um, or just show a beautiful picture of me. You guys like my shirt? Uh, that's how you do it, and I want to thank those of you that are faithfully giving to stuff like this that's, cha- that's changing the world. It truly is a privilege that we get to identify with followers of Jesus in the most amazing places in the world. So with that, let's talk about David and Bathsheba. And, and I want to say, as I teach this today, I promise you, I never heard this message as a kid. And I remember the first time I heard this story uh, because I never forgot it because when it got to the point where Bathsheba was bathing on the roof, I was in. I was in for the rest of the story. So, 2 Samuel 11, this is how it goes. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David, who was the second king of Israel and the great king of Israel, remember in the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus is called, Matthew 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So David's a very important person in the history of the line of Jesus Christ. 
says, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. So what's the first thing you see? If you're getting up late in the afternoon from your couch, it's not a real good sign that you're living a life of high purpose, right? Unless, unless you work nights. So David, all of a sudden you got this warning flag. And some of you are wondering about the history of the warlike nature. You got to realize that in the history of Israel, they were surrounded on every side's by people who wanted to destroy them, that didn't acknowledge their right to exist. So they were battling for their existence as a human race. You say, did God want all this war? No, God didn't design us for this. But he also had a group of people he was trying to preserve to bring Jesus. And so they were, they were fighting people left and right. And David himself was a phenomenal warrior who did amazing feats as a younger man. But by now, he's in his mid-50s. And instead of going to war... He's bored. He's been the king of Israel now for about 20 years. He's just hanging back at the palace. You know what the greatest enemy to anybody's life? Boredom. By far. If you're bored, just, i just tell you, it's a warning sign that, that trouble is ahead. Because we were meant to live lives of purpose and joy and meaning. And boredom is often, I'd say, the greatest tool that leads us into making really bad decisions. And so he gets up from his couch, and he's just hanging out. He should have been at war. He should have been defending his nation. But instead, he's bored, he's lazy, he's middle-aged, and he's alone. Chuck Swindoll, one of the great Bible teachers of my lifetime, actually wrote this about David. He said, our most difficult times... I wish I had put this on a screenshot. Darn it. Well, if you... Whatever, I blew it. It's too bad. You'll never find it. Our most difficult times are not when things are going hard. You hear me? Because hard times create dependent people. I would go on to say hard times create interdependent people. I've got a group of 30 friends that we pray for each other every day. It's an amazing group of people, men and women. We're on a group text on WhatsApp. We've had three people in our group battling cancer, battling for their lives. It's been an unbelievable group to pray for each other. And you know what I love? Is that we're dependent and we're interdependent. Nobody's proud. Nobody's saying, I got it all together. No, it's, we're living in that relationship. Chuck Swindle goes on to say, you don't get proud when you're dependent on God. Survival keeps you humble. Pride happens when everything is swinging in your direction. When you've just received that promotion or when you look back and you can see a spotless record in the last number of months or years. I've never had that, but I've, I've heard it's really fun when that happens. Or when you're growing in prestige and fame and significance, then it's time to watch out, especially if you're unaccountable. In this situation, David was completely vulnerable and unaccountable. So what happens next is going to change everything in his life from that day forward. From this moment, when he wakes up bored, he's wandering the rooftop, he's going to make a decision, and the rest of his life is going to be a mess. It's just going to have repercussion after repercussion after repercussion. A lot of us are living with that. A lot of us have made bad decisions that have had repercussions. But this is what I want you to know. It's what Sonia said at the beginning. 
Do not let one decision determine the outcome of your life. Because I've seen these girls in Nepal personally by the hundreds. I've seen a young girl, Anita, rescued at the border who might end up someday being the leader of the whole ministry. And I was there at the border when she was rescued. Nita's not going to let one moment or one sequence of events determine the outcome of her life. She's a powerful, incredible young woman who's about five feet tall. So here's what happens. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Now, David already has multiple wives, and he has a, he's already had a track record of a lot of his first marriage ended in a disaster because he married Saul's daughter and Saul wanted to kill him. That whole thing's a mess. He's got sons and daughters already, but he's just aimlessly strolling the rooftop. And when he reacts, he doesn't look away. He jumps right into the fire. He doubles down. He asks people to go find out and inquire about this woman. And then the servant, by the way, I'd love to meet whoever this servant of David was, because the servant comes back and he says to David, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Please notice this servant. He's trying to save David from a really bad decision. He's like, David, this isn't just some chick, man. This gal belongs to Eliam and is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, some of you don't know the Bible. In fact, even a lot of people that know the Bible wouldn't know this. If you go to the end of David's story, in 2 Samuel 23, it lists all the mighty warriors of David. It's, the chapter is incredible. One of David's mighty warriors was known for the fact that he went down into a snowy, uh, on, a, on a snowy day into a pit to fight a lion. These were the kind of guys, this is where we get the word Ezer, which is used for the woman. Remember last week, Genesis 2, Ezer warrior, the men who helped David. One of them was a the guy that goes into a pit on a snowy day, kills a lion. Another guy fought David's enemies all afternoon in a field till at the end of the battle, the sword was frozen to his hand. I love that story. It's not pretty, but he was defending the existence of the nation of Israel, which was going to bring Jesus Christ into the world. You get to 2 Samuel 23. I just picked out parts of three verses. Look what it says. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. That's verse 8. Verse 34, Elephalet, son of Ahazbai, the Machathite. Eliam, son of Ahithopel, the Gilanite. You would, you would just run right past that. And then you get to verse 39. The last person listed of David's mightiest men, there were 37 in all, was Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba's not just married to some stranger. Eliam is listed as one of his greatest warriors of the 37 greatest people in his kingdom. Uriah is another one. And here's what you wouldn't notice. Ahithopel, the father of Eliam, Ahithopel was David's number one advisor. This is the guy that gave him advice and wisdom on leading the nation. And he's getting ready to make a terrible decision. Look at what happens next. So David sent messengers 
And I want you to, if you ever look at your Bible, this is the word I want you to remember. And he took her. He took her. What does that tell you? They have any relationship? Any courting? Is there any romance in this moment? Friends, this is a sexual assault. Pure and simple. There's no other explanation. He took her and she came to him and he lay with her. It was just her beauty and his lust. That's it. And again, remember about women in this culture. The king's calling, they took her. She could, it's very possible that she had fought her captors. And then says, then she returned. So he has sex with her and then she just goes back to her house. This is, this is awful. The word took, to take. In the Hebrew is a word, I don't have it on the screen, but it, you can remember it from the 2 Samuel 11. It's the word lakach, and it means to take, to seize, to lay hold of, to fetch. This is what no one ever taught this Bible story, never made a comment on this. The passive of this verb, lakach, means to be captured or stolen or removed. I grew up in a church where people were like, well, you know, Bathsheba, she was up on the rooftop bathing. It's probably her fault. She was probably 18 years old, guys. David's probably 55. She's married to a powerful warrior of David, a guy probably in his 20s. You think she wants to be stolen away? No way. And some people said, well, she shouldn't have been bathing on the roof. If you go to Palestine today, if you go, like to go to the Bethlehem and the West Bank, do you know everybody, keep, you know everybody keeps their water? Today, 2,000 years later, where do people keep their water? On their roof. That's where the water's stored. That's where the water's kept. Water is a, is a tremendously valuable commodity. About the only place in the world where water doesn't matter is Michigan. We are the water wealthiest people in the world. It's kind of fun. You can take a hot shower and not feel bad about it. But not there. The other thing that I realized, if you ever go with me to Israel, which I hope some of you will go someday, uh, I'm hoping to do a trip in November. Uh, Alex and I have talked about it. I don't know. Might, we might have to wait till March. But they are actually right now archaeologically digging out David's uh, palace on the southeast corner of Jerusalem. I, th I think it's on the southeast corner. It's beautiful. It's elevated over a valley. So when David's walking on the rooftop, it would have been the highest building in Jerusalem. He'd have been looking. It'd be like me up here looking out and seeing all of you. So it's not like Bathsheba's going to go, I'm going to go out and bathe on the roof of my house and hopefully 150 yards away, you know, out of hundreds of houses, the king's going to be looking because he's she doesn't even know the king is there. She thought he'd be at war. That the king's going to be out looking, and boy, and she's in trouble. And she was actually just bathing to be ritually pure as she was fi finishing her cycle. Bathsheba was destroyed here by an abuse of power driven by lust. That's simple as that. Well, can it get worse? It does. It says the woman conceived... And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. 
Can you imagine her predicament? She's married. She's been abducted. She's been sexually assaulted. And now she's pregnant. What in the world is she going to do? She has no recourse. She's in trouble. And see what David does? It just gets worse and worse. David sends for Uriah. David's at the battle. I mean, Uriah's at the battle. David sends for him, and he says, Uriah, you've done such a great job. You can read all this in 2 Samuel 11. He says, why don't you just take a couple days of R&R, go visit Bathsheba, you know, take care, you know, have a few minutes or days of hours of rest, and then, then you can go back. Guess what, Uriah? Uriah refuses. He's like, I can't go to my wife. He says, all the men that I fight with are in harm's way, and you're expecting me to just go on a vacation? No way. So he refuses, he refuses to go to Bathsheba. So you know what David does? He gets worse and worse. He gets him drunk. He plies him with alcohol, gets him drunk, and he sends him back, and Uriah still won't go into Bathsheba. And then, this is amazing. By the way, David is described twice in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. What? My little peanut brain just goes, just explodes. So in the morning, Uriah's refusing, refused over a course of several days. David writes a letter to Joab, who's the commander of the army, and he sends this letter with, jo- with Uriah. He says, Uriah, go back to the battle, give this letter to Joab. And guess what the letter says? Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he, w- so he will be struck down and die. Now it's just pure murder. He's, David has added murder, not just of, of anyone, but of one of his fiercest allies and protectors, a guy that has spent his life protecting David, and he's going to have him murdered. That's exactly what happens. Anybody ever t- say the Bible's boring is nuts? This is it's crazy stuff. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. Again, I want to comment on this, lamenting. Lamenting means to grieve very deeply. To grieve at what you have lost. She is, she's been victimized multiple times in this story. And it says, and when her mourning was over, I don't know how long that was, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Mourning couldn't have been long because she would have been pregnant sometime within that nine months. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. So David, though, he thinks he's made it. He thinks he's gotten out of this. But then God sends a prophet, Nathan. And what I'm about to read to you is a story that when I was in high school actually changed my life and my conduct. After hearing this story, I thought I never wanted to take what wasn't mine. Like if I was dating a girl, I remember thinking, this girl doesn't belong to me. She belongs to her future husband, right? I'm not going to take what doesn't belong to me. It made me want to live with honesty and integrity like no other story I'd ever heard. Some of you never heard this story. This is how it goes. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Remember, David's the great king. He's got multiple wives. He's got Bathsheba now. He's killed Uriah. No one even knows about it. He's totally cool. He's gotten away with it. And Nathan came to him and said, let me tell you a story. There were two men in a certain city. 
And the one was rich and the other poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? No, it's not, because I know how you treat your dogs. Don't get judgy with this guy. You're, you know, we treat our dogs better than we treat people, don't we? I do. You ought to see my do- dog, George. He's a dog that only his owner could love. He has the worst bark in the world. But believe me, I've disinherited all my children. All my earthly possessions are now left to George. So anyway, this, guy's, they, this guy has a beautiful pet that his family loves. And you all know that because you love your... people. By the way... People in Africa and India, when I tell them how we treat dogs, they think it's the funniest thing in the world. They're like, you guys are nuts. You let your dog jump up on your bed? We would never even let our dog in the house. That's funny. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Okay. So now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, And prepared it for the man who had come to him. Wow, this is a terrible man. What a jerk. I remember I was like 15 years, 14, 15 years old, reading this. I'm like, what a jerk. How could anybody do that? And then as you grow older, you realize people do it all the time. People have everything they need and and they're trying to take from other people. So they can have more. They don't care. They don't care what's left. It's a, it's a curse of our brokenness that we're short-sighted, that we forget, and sometimes we grab and we don't think about the implications of this. I remember hearing this story, and like, man, I'm like, I would kill this guy. This rich guy, I'd rip him to shreds. Guess what David says? Look at this. He said, David's anger burned hot. He said his anger was greatly kindled. See that phrase? Hebrew would be like a roaring fire, like a forest fire. David had a forest fire anger against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, like if God's alive, the man who's done this deserves to die for killing this lamb. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, four of the most famous words ever spoken, You are the man. And I remember being 14 or 15 years old and reading this story, and I realized, realized, you know who the man was? It was me. Because in my heart, like everybody else, I want what I want. I'm selfish. I think about myself first. I'm willing to take what, uh, to do things. I remember trying to get away with stuff, and I thought, My heart, apart from God's love and God's grace and the presence of Jesus Christ in my life, is to take and to steal. And in all of this, you're saying, how could David be so blind? How could he be so blind about a a baby lamb and not see what he had done to Bathsheba and Uriah and Eliam and Ahithophel and his whole nation? Well, he couldn't see it because sin is pretty blind. The Bible says, There's pleasure in doing what's wrong for a little while. 
Like you can have a lot of fun doing what's wrong for a little while. But then there's so many people that are hurt, including yourself. Now, the one thing that I thank God for David in this is when David hears this, you can read it again in 2 Samuel 12, that David truly repented. He was, he was sorry for what he had done. He, was, he sought for forgiveness and restoration, but how can, how can you give restoration to Uriah? Uriah's name, remember last week? Uriah's name is wiped from the face of the earth now. His, his lineage is done. Out of this, something good came. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David. And it's the most honest psalm maybe ever written. Some of you have read, even if you don't know the Bible, you've heard the words of the song, of the psalm. Part of it where David says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That came out of this experience with Bathsheba. Tragically, the baby dies at seven days old. So imagine you're Bathsheba. You've been sexually assaulted. And you were seen as you were purifying yourself ritually because of that's what you did as a, a woman of faith in the Jewish culture. You're stolen away. Your husband is murdered. Your family is brought to shame. And then the baby dies. What a heartbreaking series of events. But is she going to be defined by this? That's the question. And most, what's funny is most of you don't know what happens, do you? Maybe I won't tell you. No, it's, 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 it's an amazing story. It says in 2 Samuel then that David comforted his wife Bathsheba. I don't know what that means, but I know that Bathsheba had no choice but to be his, his wife. She didn't have a choice in this. But it says that at least David began to act in a human way. Like not as a king, but as a human being. I don't know if she appreciated that. I don't know what her feelings were, but it says he went into her and lay with her. Again, she didn't have a choice. And she bore a son and she called his, and he, David, called his name Solomon. Which, by the way, is the root word of that in Hebrew is the word peace or well-being. I don't know if David, if I don't know if that was wishful thinking, like maybe this will bring peace or well-being. I don't know if that's true. But here's the part that is absolutely incredible. David called his name Solomon, and don't, don't forget this part. And the Lord loved him. Like in the midst of all of the horror of this story, there comes a baby boy, and the Lord looks at that baby and goes, man. I just love that baby. You know, I love, I love babies and kids like more than anything else. My best job in the world is a grandfather. I, I, like I'd throw away every other job I do in one second to keep that job with my wife. We would, that's the job we love the most, being grandparents. And you know what? When I look at my kids, my grandkids, they're awesome. And some of them are out of control. Some of them are total nerds. But they're mine. 
And they're, they're marvelous. And sometimes I'll show a picture to somebody, hey, look at this. You, like, you inflict other people with pictures of your grandchildren. It's an affliction. And those other people, oh, hey, that, hey. that's nice. That's sweet. I don't care. They're mine. They're beautiful. They're perfect. They're idiotic. And every Sunday when I'm here with you or I'm, in a, or I'm sitting with, a, I was with three guys this week going through terrible divorces. I want to look at every one of you and every one of them and, and go, you know what? The Lord looks at you and just loves you. He's just crazy about you. He knows you're a doofus. You, right there. He knows it. He doesn't care. You're his guy. And the Lord looked at Solomon and said, I love this kid. So how does the story end? From this moment on, Bathsheba disappears from the story. Like for years. Probably anywhere from 12 to 20 years, she disappears. We don't hear a word about her. And then at the end of David's life, we get these two great things. 1 Kings chapter 1, as the king is dying, he says the king took an oath. He called Bathsheba into his presence. He says, and he says to Bathsheba, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble. <laughs> By the way, let me just stop there. Delivered me out of every trouble. David ran to trouble. Remember when Goliath was threatening the people of Israel? What did David do? It says he ran to the battle. He ran to fight Goliath and kill him. A nine-foot-tall giant. David was a guy that ran to trouble. But he also made trouble. And he made, he had all, believe me, no one knew trouble like David. And so when he's swearing on knowing that the Lord will deliver him, he knew, he knew that was true. He said, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. So Bathsheba's a victim, and now her son is the king of the whole nation. It's exactly what these, these girls in Nepal are experiencing. They're not the, they're not the rulers in Nepal, but they're, they're going from victim to powerful person. And then, and then this would be so easy to miss, but this is amazing. Look at what the very next chapter. So in chapter 2 of... Kings, one Kings, David is dead. It says, when Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, Adonijah was making an inappropriate request. Adonijah was an older son of one of David's other wives and thought he should have been king. He was probably 40 years old. Solomon's probably 15. Adonijah, these other sons of David, could have killed could have, could have swatted Solomon like a fly, but somehow David secures the kingdom and Bathsheba secure the kingdom for Solomon. So the king stood up to meet Bathsheba, which he wouldn't have done to anybody else, and the king bows down to her before he sits back down in his throne. And then this, this is, you, if you miss this, you miss the story. He had a throne brought for the king's mother and she sat down at his right hand. Now, in all royal terms, who sits at the right hand of the king? No. Not necessarily. 
the most trusted person. It could be the queen, but it could also be the most trusted advisor, the person who the king trusts in more than any other person. And in this case, it's both it's the queen mother and the person he trusts the most. In the scripture, when Jesus resurrects from the dead, defeats sin and death and hell, where does he sit? He sits at the right hand of God the Father. So Bathsheba in this moment is a picture of who? Who? She's a picture of Jesus. She is not a victim. She is sitting at the right hand of the king. And boy, was her significance powerful because Solomon was probably a young teenage boy. Who else is he going to trust at this point but his mother? There would have been no Solomon without the tragic night that she was taken by the king. There'd have been no Solomon without the death of her husband, all the tragedy and the suffering that she knew. But God knew that on the other side of that pain was her purpose. So let me just finish with this. Look at this. Look at this screenshot of what Bathsheba went through. She suffered what? Her marriage was stolen? She was stolen. She was sexually assaulted. She was in danger of being stoned to death for adultery. David could have pretended that he didn't have anything to do with this. Who's going to believe her? Her penalty would have been to be potentially stoned to death as a pregnant woman being unfaithful to her husband. Her husband's then murdered. Her baby dies, forced to remarry immediately, whether she wanted to or not. Then what does she do? She overcomes. She refuses to be defined. And I want to say this to you today. And to those of you guys that are listening on this stream, whoever you are, don't be defined by the, the terrible things that have been done to you or by the terrible things you have done. I have a good friend who's in prison for murder. And for the last 20 years, he has been trying to not be defined by the horrible act that he did and to live a life that's a blessing to other people. And I can tell you, it doesn't make up for what he did. But he's been used to be a blessing to many, many people in prison. He's helped many, many, many inmates get their GED because he was smart and he was able to help them. He's, been, he's written stuff about prison reform and about he's, he has not let a terrible decision define him, even though it hurt many, many people. For those of you that have been hurt by others, don't let yourself be defined by that. Be an overcomer. Let God give you a purpose because Bathsheba overcomes. She advises David. And then in all of this, her son becomes king and she sits at his right hand. Probably for years. Don't let your life be defined by a tragic moment. Look at David's example of repentance and genuine heart change, even though his life was a mess afterwards. Believe me, you can keep reading Samuel. It's crazy. It's a great, it's a great story. It's a great novel except it's true. If you have a painful moment in your life, don't get stuck there. Please, get help. Have people pray with you. Keep seeking Jesus. And I thought, why did we do this series? Because it gives us hope. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Matthew chapter 1, the first verse of the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The only thing that could have made this better would be if Jesus would have said, the son of David and Bathsheba. 
which he does say later. But he goes on to say, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. She doesn't even get her name written down in the genealogy, but she stands as a witness of God's faithfulness in the midst of the worst human conditions. And best of all, if you think back on this series, if you missed any of these weeks, go back and listen to them. We started with Rahab and Ruth and then Tamar. But in the the order of genealogy, it's Tamar, right? Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. All of them kept the door open for Jesus to come to us and to say to us, in the midst of all these circumstances, God's still working. Like if you came to me and shared with me whatever problem you're having today, you know what I would say to you? Because I've lived it for 65 years. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing, but I tell you, he's working. He hadn't given up on you. Your life could be a mess. You could be the biggest failure in this room. God's working. God might use that failure to do more in you and through you than you ever dreamed possible. I don't know. Because God is always about the business of restoring, of giving hope, of healing, and of bringing purpose out of the midst of chaos. I promise you it's true. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of getting to be a part of this series. And I want to thank you for these beautiful people that that I get to share life with and their hearts. Lord, I know they're here today and that they're watching on the stream because you, you want, each one of them wants you to be at work in their lives. And I want to thank you for the grittiness of this city and the fact that The fact that living in Detroit is a place in this metro area where we've all known failure and we've all seen things go in the tank, but we've seen your faithfulness too, and we love being dependent on you and interdependent with each other. So, Lord, for people today who are are repenting of their mistakes and need to pursue reconciliation and recompense and forgiveness, do that, Lord. And also for those here who've been hurt, Lord, give them courage to stand up. Let them be like the women of Jesus' genealogy, like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, or Bathsheba, or like the daughters of Nepal, or the Pocot women who are standing strong like never before, and they were finally getting a voice in northwest Kenya. Lord, there are so many places where you are working powerfully. Let this be one of those places, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this last song, I just want you to know this song to me is a perfect end of the day. See who's singing it and see the power behind those words. Enjoy this.
In the, in the first service, I, I, this doesn't happen to me often, but I had a vision that Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba were leading, were leading the last song. I'm not kidding you. I like it's no different. These women here, no different than those women. Like those women were part of the genealogy of Jesus, of what Jesus was doing in the world. You women are doing the same thing. You're, you're creating a legacy of faith for your children, for, for other people, for us, you're leading us along the way. And uh, I just thought, what an amazing moment in, in history where you're not powerless. You not only have the power of Christ, but you have the opportunity to be the voice and hands of Jesus Christ in the world. I thought, if it was just you four women, that'd be enough to Jesus today. That's it. If you four go out, no, no, nothing could stop you. And I love that phrase. It says, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You introduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces put me back together. You're the defender of my heart. And I thought that's what the four women experienced, like in, in all a different way. When they didn't, they had some recourse to action. They showed incredible action and strength and courage. But in the end, all they had was Jesus to defend them. And I thought, this is the vision I had for my daughters when they were young. And I was thinking about Helen calling me this week. And um, after she heard about Nisha going to law school and it She's like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm going to make sure that Nisha's covered for her law school so she can get through law school. And I thought Helen's fighting Nisha's battle. Nisha's going to fight the battle of other people. This is what we do. People fought our battles through Jesus, the power of Jesus. We fight other, but we step in and we do whatever whatever it takes along the way. Isn't that a great way to live and a great way to experience Christ? And I just want you to know that all of you and those of you listening, you have no idea the power that Jesus Christ wants to demonstrate in your life, in your relationships, and in whatever it is that he's called you to do. And you're strategically placed to be his hands and feet, his light to the world like nobody else because you're unique and God's placed you right there. So let's go do that, okay? Next week, we're going to actually talk about what that looks like. We're talking about living your dreams, how to live that out. It's going to be a really exciting series. We're, just, we're on a roll. It's going to be great. Look forward to you being back here. Love you. It's been so fun sharing this two weeks with you. See you. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.